Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Oh, and first pitch crushing! Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where now, here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. Another day in September, another big prospect promotion to talk about. Welcome into Fantasy Baseball Today on Tuesday, September 12th. I am Frank Stanfield, joined by Scott White. Today on the show, We'll be talking about that prospect, the Cubs making some big moves here. The Braves will not stop hitting home runs. Brandon Woodruff tossed the first shutout of his career and much more. Before we get started, help us out by liking this video and subscribing on YouTube if you haven't already. And if you're listening on the audio side, download, follow, and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. I know a lot of people have been hitting us up thanking us for helping them out throughout their season. You know, some people kind of ending their fantasy baseball season a little bit earlier. Uh, you know, if we helped you win, help us out. Give us a, a five-star rating. We do appreciate that. Scott, you're here and you're wearing a hat. Look at us. We're twins. I know. We even kind of wore the same color shirt. I know. It's kind of weird, right? It was not planned. <laughs> and I don't, I don't actually care for that, but... That's fine. I got a hat. Like, I, I don't think I don't think the hat really works for my setup here because my uh, light, the light that lights up my face is a little above me. And so it just casts a shadow over my eyes instead of being well lit like this. So I probably won't wear a hat much, but <laughs> didn't get a chance to shower today. So didn't want you to see what my hair looked like. Uh-oh. Well, that's entirely the reason why I don't wear a hat. Uh, oh, I always are, wear. A we hat. are the we are we are number one in fantasy <laughs> advice and number one hundred in hygiene. Oh well, not the shower part. The part where I don't want to show everyone my hair. I'm just oh. too lazy to kind of style okay, it. I guess. <laughs> I thought. I thought. I thought I had some solidarity here. Okay, that's fine. Anywho, let's. I'm talk- the gross one. <laughs> you kind of look like a Sith Lord right now with the, like the, the shadow over your eyes. <laughs> I'm going to call you Sith White throughout today's podcast. Uh, let's talk about the Cubs promoting their top prospect, Pete Crow Armstrong, on Monday. And by most estimations, a top 10 to 15 prospect in all of baseball. 21 years old, a first round pick back in 2020. This year in the minors, PCA, 
I'm just gonna, it's so much easier to call him PCA. Uh, batting 283 with 20 homers, 37 steals, and 876 OPS across double A and triple A. Uh, lots of power and speed here. He's hit for good batting average across the minors as well, Scott. He's 28% rostered. He's also a left-handed batter, so I don't know if he's going to play every day with the Cubs. Uh, what are your thoughts on Crow Armstrong as a prospect and whether or not we should add him in fantasy? Well, you did bury the lead with Pete Crow Armstrong. Did I? Uh, which, I mean, if, if, you're, if, if you're on social media and you follow a lot of baseball accounts, you probably already heard this. But if you don't, you should know that Pete Crow Armstrong is the real-life son of the mother from Little Big League. That is probably my favorite relation fact for a player in the majors. I think it tops Jose Miranda being the cousin of Lynn, Lynn Manuel Miranda, which is also amazing. But I, I think this is more amazing. Have you seen the movie Little Big League? I just looked it up on Google. I, I definitely have seen this when I was a kid, but that was a Big long League. time ago. <laughs> And the love interest in Little Big League is a player with like red hair, and he has red hair. So it, I don't know. It's almost, it's almost uh, a little too perfect. But anyway, Pete Crow Armstrong is a high energy player, excellent defender in center field. I'm inclined to give almost the same take for him that I gave for Sedan uh, Raffaello when the Red Sox called him up, in that I'm not. Totally sure the power is going to translate. Like it's, you definitely see a path for this guy becoming like an awesome player. Um, but like the exit, the exit velocity readings are pretty bad. His average exit velocity at AAA was eighty five point nine, which is really bad. Is really that, bad. Is that true? I saw eighty eight point nine on Fangraphs. Uh, I'm if if the data I'm looking at is right here, Pete Crow Armstrong, 85.9, uh, max exit velocity 107.3. Yeah, I um, see I see that same max exit velocity, but on Fangraphs it, it does say 88.9, which still isn't amazing, but it is better than 85. So I don't know, there could be some it is discrepancy. Here. Okay, well whatever the number is, I'm I'm looking at prospects live, but whatever the number is, it's it's not like he's it, it's not like he has a lot of raw power. He's managed to hit for pretty good power in the minors. Will that translate to the majors? Unclear at this point. I also, as with Rafaela, I don't think it's clear that we're going to see Crow Armstrong in the lineup with great consistency. Uh, he obviously, you know, improves their defense with him in center. Not that Cody Bellinger is a bad option there, but Cody Bellinger is already playing a lot of first base. And it seems like the Cubs are hesitant to play Jamer Candelario at third base. They do it sometimes, but they would rather have him at first base, it seems like. So the only path, I think, for uh, Crow Armstrong to be a true everyday player is to send Cody Bellinger to first base full-time, send Candelario to third base full-time, send Mike Talkman to DH full-time, or at least rotate a few outfielders at DH with Talkman. The worst bat in the Cubs lineup is the guy currently playing third base, Nick Madrigal. So that does make some sense. Like if they want to go maximum upside lineup, they would do that. But given their hesitance to play Candelario, I don't know that they're going to do that on an everyday basis. Uh, his first game up, uh, Pete Crow Armstrong appeared as a pinch runner and stayed in to play center field, you know, since he is such an asset out there defensively. I don't know. Maybe it's prospect fatigue with so many being called up in recent weeks. But I, 
you know, even in even in some five outfielder leagues, I might have a hard time making room for Pete Crow Armstrong. Yeah, and just to put his fielding in perspective, I know you mentioned he was a very good fielder. Uh, on MLB Pipeline, they have him graded out as an 80-grade fielder, and on Fangraphs, they have his upside as a 70-grade. So we're talking about a truly elite defender here in center field. So, you know, that could help get his bat in the lineup, maybe against right-handed pitching. I, my guess is they're not going to play him against lefties. They did not start him here on Monday against Kyle Freeland. Uh, Pete Crow Armstrong, 28% rostered. Scott, would you rather take a shot on him or Evan Carter, who went two for four with his first career home run here on Monday? I mean, I, I haven't been totally on board with Carter, but we've seen Carter's playing a lot. He did hit a home run. I didn't see the exit velocity on that home run. Uh, do you happen to have that? I didn't see it either, but I can pull it up while you're talking. Yeah. So, you know, I, I've had my doubts how many home runs he's going to hit at this stage of his development. 102.4. Yeah. Um, it did go 406 feet. It didn't. It looked like it landed. Super. It looked like it landed pretty far when I saw it. Yeah. Um, it was kind of a line drive home run. I don't know. Like, he, he didn't hit that many in the minors, and, and that is... Um, in his scouting report, uh, something that is more predicted for the future than he's providing in the present. And and at 21, is he ready to take this step? I, I have my doubts, but he's a good on-base source, and the Rangers seem to like playing him. So I would give Evan Carter the edge over Pete Crow Armstrong just based on the little bit we've seen of him so far. And I do think both players are only for deeper leagues as of now, 15-team, five outfielder leagues. Maybe if you're really desperate in a 12-team, five-outfielder league, you know, look, keeper, re, um, dynasty leagues, yes, we're excited about both of these guys, but for the remainder of this season, eh, maybe yeah. not as much. So, just The Memorial Magazine League, which is a 12-team rotisserie league, uh, five outfielders, he went for $0 in the fab bidding yesterday, did, did Evan Carter. I don't, I don't think, I mean, I guess we didn't find out until today that Pete Crow Armstrong was coming up, but... Evan Carter himself didn't only he he there wasn't like a bidding war for him in that five outfielder league. So I think that shows um, kind of where everybody stands with these guys right now. All right. Once again, the Cubs promoting their top prospect, Pete Crow Armstrong, and hopefully we'll see him in the lineup here on Tuesday. Let's talk about the rest of Monday's action. Oh, my good goodness gracious. All right, Scott, you are up your player of the night. My player of the night is Logan O'Hoppy. He went two for three with a couple ding-dongs. He has four home runs in his past four games now and seems to have recaptured the stroke he showed in April when he emerged as, uh, at the time, he was looking like the most exciting rookie in fantasy, particularly at a weak position like catcher. So I think... I think uh, with the four home runs in his past four games, Logan O'Hoppy has re-entered the discussion. It's been a pretty crowded group of, of catchers who've caught our attention here at the end of the season. I'm not slotting him ahead of Mitch Garver. I might put him ahead of Yiner Diaz now, given the way Yiner Diaz playing time has suffered. Like we feared it would. Yiner Diaz, Chaz McCormick, both of their playing time has suffered under the rain of Dusty Baker. <laughs> and so I think O'Hoppy's back ahead. And 
you know, he's, he's putting in a good word for his 2024 draft value as well. The weird thing about Ohapi is like what stood out for him most in the minor leagues was how much he walked. His on-base percentage was just insane. His walk rate in the majors this year is only 6.2%. It's not very good. Uh, obviously, different caliber of pitching, probably seeing more strikes in general. Uh, maybe it's a good thing that he's not being overly patient. But I, I do think there is the potential for him to walk more in the future based on what he did in the minors. 70 walks in 104 games last year for a 416 on base percentage. All right, again, that is Logan Ohapi. Uh, are we looking at him in one catcher league, Scott, or is it just two catcher leagues for now? Because I think for me, I agree with you on Mitch Garver. I'd rather have him than Ohapi. I think I would still take Cabert Ruiz and MJ Melendez over Ohapi. I know those guys have had pretty good second halves. What do you think about those? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I would too. He's right on the, the fringe of being rosterable in one catcher leagues. I'll tell you, I mean, it's just a, it's, it's obviously just a, a, a byproduct of this time of year where, you know, as I talked about yesterday, you really can't afford to miss. You have to, you have to give every lineup setting everything you've got, which can be dangerous. It, it can be dangerous to have that mindset because you'll overvalue. You, there, there can be a tendency to overvalue what's happened recently. You, you can suffer from recency bias as you're setting your lineups this time of year because you're trying to will yourself to victory in a way. Uh, you're not so much during other times of the year. I have JT Real Muto in the podcast league, the head-to-head points league, the podcast league, where I'm playing you in the semifinals, Frank. I have JT Real Muto. I obviously used a pretty high pick on him. JT Real Muto has been... He's been disappointment all year, but he's been terrible in recent weeks. Terrible. Uh, let's see. I'm going back few weeks here uh, a couple weeks ago he actually turned into a decent number 26 points but the breakdown week by week you know more weeks than not he has been under 10 points since the all-star break so i benched him against you frank i picked up mitch garver i benched jt real muto i didn't have the guts to drop him and so i i hate rostering two catchers in a league where there's only 21 roster spots didn't quite have the guts to do that, but I picked up Mitch Garver and started him against you. Garver scored five today without the benefit of a hit. Real Muto scored one. So far, so good. I don't know that I'd be willing to bench Real, bench Real Muto for... Uh, that's the most dangerous word for me to say, bench. <laughs> I don't know that I'd be willing to sit... That could be dangerous too. To sit Real Muto for Logan Ohapi, but... It creeps, the, the thoughts creep in this time of year, Frank. They do. Would you take Logan O'Hoppy over Shea Langoliers, who has seven home runs in his past 18 games? He's played much better recently. And Bo Naylor, who went two for three with his third steal on Monday here. And he's played pretty well recently also. Uh, do you take yeah. Logan over both of those? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Logan O'Hoppy, by the way, 30% rostered, so... There might be a few two-catcher leagues where he's just uh, still kind of lurking out there. Oh, my goodness gracious for me, I'm going to go with uh, Brandon Woodruff, who turned in the first complete game shutout of his career and the first shutout by a Brewers pitcher since 2021. Going up against the Marlins, he allowed just six hits, 
One walk, seven strikeouts here, 11 swinging strikes on 106 pitches. And he has turned in four straight quality starts. He's looked very good since coming back from the injury. Overall, Brandon Woodruff has made nine starts this season. He's got a 193 ERA, a .79 whip, 10K per nine, 13.3% swinging strike rate. There's a few things that are concerning. Uh, he's given up more fly balls than ever before, and as a result, uh, he's done a good job of l limiting hits, but something that might not be sustainable, a 194 BABIP, that's like really low, and his strand rate is really high. So I think there's been a little bit of luck involved here with Woodruff, but the dude has been rock solid. I asked you last week, Scott, you said you could see him being drafted as a top 10 starting pitcher in fantasy drafts next year. And uh, speaking of which, that early mock draft we did last week, the first six rounds, he was the SP10 off the board, which is exactly what we said. You know, top 10 pitcher drafted, and I think it makes sense. The only thing is we need him to stay healthy. That's been the biggest issue for Brandon Woodruff. Uh, yeah, it has. But he's been a top 10 pitcher for the past few years already, and among those who were drafted among within the top 10 this year, he's one of the few who's lived up to our expectations for him. Other than missing all the time with injury, I mean, when he's been healthy, he's lived up to it. And, yeah, I'm not going to be too critical of some of those underlying numbers. I mean, when a guy has a 193 ERA and a .79 whip, there's going to be some unsustainability there in the underlying numbers. But I, I think Woodruff is exactly who we've always known him to be. And, uh, and yeah, I'm not going to ding him for the health so much next year either because there are so few, there appear to be so few reliables in the pitching pool right now. Uh, I know things can change, obviously, and I'm not going to hold you to this, Cap, but uh, just, I guess, an early lean. What do you think for next year? Would you rather have Brandon Woodruff or Tyler Glass now? I would rather have, I think, Woodruff. But I reserve the right to change my mind, as you already <laughs> said. I just... yeah. Because I want to be, I want to not be, um, to, to not overemphasize workload expectations at the expense of talent level. And I do think Glass now is of a higher talent level than Woodruff. I mean, you can't get that much higher than Woodruff, but I do think Glass now is one of the few pitchers who is. He's never, you know, we, we talk about Woodruff's durability concerns. Glass now has never thrown even 120 innings in the majors right yep yeah one 111 and two-thirds was as high in 2018 when he still that was the season split between the pirates and the rays so man this he just crossed 100 innings for the second time in his major league career this year like that is that is a different level of of uh durability concern i would say for glass now um so as of now i'm inclined to say woodruff over him I do think it's really close. The Welsh asked me that same question last week. And at the time I said Woodruff and then we did the mock draft and I was on the clock and I actually took glass now. So <laughs> I don't know. It's again, it's really close. So, but I do think both are going to be like top 10 or top 12 starting pitchers drafted next year. Brandon Woodruff and Tyler glass. Now another day, more home runs for Trey Turner and Bryce Harper. It feels like we've said that a lot in the second half of the season uh, across the double header here. too. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Um, not that he had a homer today, but just like he's been on a crazy home run binge of late. And for the longest time, I mean, we were waiting for the Phillies lineup to all kind of wake up together and, and start hitting. And 
it's happening right now. Not not so much for JT Realmuto, unfortunately. But uh, Trey Turner across the doubleheader, two games here on Monday, four for nine with his 25th home run. Bryce Harper, two for six with his 16th home run. And I noticed that Bryce Harper will officially have first base eligibility for next year's drafts. On CBS, you need 20 games played. Today was actually the 23rd game he played at first base. I think other providers, too, it's... I don't think it's any more than 20 games, so my guess is Bryce Harper will have first base eligibility everywhere next year, which is good. It's good for him. Yeah. I mean, it's part of the reason why I, I kind of caught myself last week when we were going over those early mock draft results. Um, I, I was saying, oh, yeah, first base is weak. That's just how we were talking midseason. But since then, we've seen Cody Bellinger become eligible at first base, Bryce Harper become eligible at first base, Tristan Casas take off, Spencer Torkelson take off. A uh, couple other things have changed. Nolan Jones. Um, is Nolan Jones going to have first base eligibility there next year? Nolan Jones is 162 game pace. Like it's kind of ridiculous. We keep talking about him as a waiver wire pickup because his 162 game pace is like fifth round numbers. Uh, so Nolan Jones. Nah, he's only got 10 at first base. I don't think he's going to have eligibility there. No, nah, I don't think so but, either. Yeah. But uh, but he is eligible right now, which has helped to make the position seem not so deep at all. I mean, not so shallow at all. All right. And I actually have this uh, Guardians and Giants game on right now. Another blown save for Emmanuel Class A, who extends his own lead. I think it's 11 blown saves now on the season. Ooh, that is a lot of blown saves, man. And, and I think he has 39 actual saves. I know, look, there's always going to be a few blown saves in there, but... He technically could be up to 50 saves right now if he like converted all of his saves. Seven, eight blown saves is a lot. Yeah, he's had 11. So, yeah. Uh, Crazy. Nolan Jones, his 162-game pace coming into Monday. A 280 batting average, 28 homers, 24 steals, 90 RBI, 84 runs. It's a good player. It's a really good player. And even if he strikes out a lot, the fact that Nolan Jones plays in Coors Field is just a huge factor for him. So... I think he's going to be a pretty uh, interesting, I think, mid-round sleeper for next year, but we'll see uh, with Nolan Jones. Speaking of the Phillies, they were going up against the Braves here head-to-head, and uh, the Braves offense just will not stop hitting home runs. Ronald Acuna in game one of their doubleheader went two for five with a sock and a shoe. His 36th home run, 65th stolen base of the year. And in case you're wondering like I was, what is the record for most games in a single season with a home run and a stolen base in that same game? Ronald Acuna has now done it 11 times this year. The single season record is 13, held by Ricky Henderson. So, hmm. it's still possible. We've got, what, I don't know, uh, 20 days left in the season, something like that. The way Acuna is playing right now, it's, it's wild. Yeah. Uh, he can smell that 40-70 season. We thought 30-60 was a big deal. Crazy. 40-70. Let's do it. Yeah. Shout out to Chris Towers, by the way. He was. Uh, I was just kind of thinking out loud with that stat, and then he actually looked it up, and he found all the answers. So thank you, Chris. He's, he's good at finding stuff quickly like that. I wish I was better at it. Yeah. You know what? We should probably just ask him. <laughs> I'm pretty <laughs> sure he would show us how to do it, you know? <laughs> he's, he's our own, uh, what's that? Elias Sports Bureau. He's he's our own private version of that. Yeah, basically. Uh, Matt Olson, by the way, uh, you know, Acuna is not the only one hitting home runs. Olson, two for three with a double dong. 
The first to 50 home runs this season, he's batting 279. He's also first by far in RBI. He has 127 RBI. The next closest player is Pete Alonso and Kyle Tucker with 103. So Matt Olson has 24 more than them. It's <laughs> lineup has been awesome. He's been awesome hitting all these home runs. And you know I'm rooting for him because I still yeah. got that bet. So let's go. So 50 home runs puts him one away from the franchise record for home runs. So that seems like a record that's sure to fall. And, you know, that's saying something considering the Braves for a very long time had the all-time home run leader in Hank Aaron, who never, who, who doesn't even own the franchise record. The franchise record, 51, that's Andrew Jones. But still, it's an impressive accomplishment for Matt Olson if and when he gets there. I was a huge fan of Andrew Jones, just like... Growing up, it's whatever. Sidebar, I guess. Should be a Hall of Famer. I hope he makes it in there. Oh, well, day. they just retired his number, which was interesting because, you know, like when when um, Greg Maddox, Tom Glavin, John Smoltz, Chipper Jones, when all of them were done with the Braves, their numbers never got reassigned. It was like they were retired before they were officially retired. Andrew Jones, 25, got reassigned over and over again, everybody from Troy Gloss to Christian Pache wore 25 for the Braves. So, you know, that was, that was like, are they ever going to retire this guy's number? And they finally did. Nice. So good for them. Yes. Good for them. Good for him. And lastly, I do want to mention Michael Harris. He also had a huge day across both games, four for eight, four for eight with two homers, four runs, three RBI. And we know he got off to that terrible start, but since the beginning of June, 86 games for Michael Harris. He is batting 335 with 14 home runs, 56 runs, 42 RBI, and 15 steals. And that way too early mock draft, Scott, Michael Harris went 31st overall. How does that sound to you? Yeah, he's going to be a tricky one. So you gave the numbers since the start of June. If you want to say 82 games instead of 86, it becomes a 347 batting average. So... In a, in a little more than half a season's time, Michael Harris has hit about 350. Uh, and his his batting average is basically now for the like for the year, his batting average is basically what it was last year. And and that was part of the part of what we didn't think he'd be able to sustain is a batting average in the 290s. Well, even though he entered June 8th or whatever it was, batting about 160, he's managed to get that batting average up into the 290s again. So I think that's proven to be a pretty durable part of Michael Harris's skill set. The power production hasn't been as good. Uh, I haven't looked if, if the launch angle's been better because that was part of the reason we expected him to take a step back too. Uh, the ground ball rate has been, you know, it's still high. It's 49%. It was 56% last year. So that's gotten better for Michael Harris as well. Certainly the exit velocity suggest he has legit power, the kind that could lead to a big home run total. Uh, and, and, you know, he steals some bases. What's held him back a lot this year is batting ninth in the lineup as often as he does. We've seen him hit second a little more recently here, but obviously the Braves... It's such a star-studded lineup that is there is there any opportunity for him to rise that much? Because if he's stuck in the nine hole, it's going to be hard to justify a third-round pick in him, uh, investing a third-round pick in him. I, I I see him more, and I haven't actually made rankings yet, so that may it may change. But I'm I'm thinking 
I'm thinking fourth round at the earliest for Harris, and I will probably, I'll probably be looking to draft uh, an ace before I draft Michael Harris. Like there are certain hitters that I'm going to prioritize over any pitcher, but then we're going to get to a point in the hitter rankings where it's like, I got to grab some reliability, some upside at starting pitcher before we get into the glob. And I think Harris is Mm -hmm. going to be, is going to come after that for me. Okay. It's interesting that you bring that up because in that mock draft, I I had picked 12 of 15 and if Michael Harris was there for me at 312, I was planning to take him. Like I made my second round pick and then I filled up my queue. Michael Harris was part of that queue. Some players that, you know, had power and speed. Obviously, I put Michael Harris in that category. Uh, but yeah, I think if he was there, I actually would have taken him over Tyler Glass now. But maybe 31 is a touch early. But you're right. I mean, I think in a 12 team league, you get into the fourth round, you know, around pick 40, something like that. I think that's probably the right range for Michael Harris next year. So, well, what, what hurts also is that he hasn't really upped his stolen base prowess in in a year where so many players have so he's just this 20 to 25 steel guy and how much of a help is he honestly going to be in that category well some amount but 20 to 25 steals doesn't mean what it used to i quickly wanted to pull up his sprint speed he is 88th percentile so maybe there's a potential for him to steal more bases it wouldn't surprise me I, i think he's talented enough i think he's athletic enough to pull it off Uh, And one other thing on Michael Harris, I wanted to see how he has performed against lefties this year because that was a big reason why I was fading him as well. The ground balls, the plate discipline. This season against lefties, Michael Harris is batting 299 with a 797 OPS. He has just made, he has made huge strides this year. And I'm, frankly, I'm a fan, but yeah, would like to see him bat higher in that Braves lineup. Let's take our first break. When we return, we'll take a look at some uh, waiver wire hitters, some waiver wire pitchers. We'll do that right after this. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, Now it is on homes.com. As somebody who's been through this, I can tell you these features are so, so incredibly valuable. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. The area you live in is just as important as the house itself. You can get to know a neighborhood without ever setting foot in it. Say you're a really active person. You could find out about the nearest parks. Do they have a baseball field? Maybe you want to join a softball league like Chris and I play in. 
Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com, we've done your homework. Welcome back into Fantasy Baseball Today, and let's take a look at those waiver wire hitters. We already spoke about Logan O'Hoppy up there at the top with what he's done over his last four games, four home runs during that time. I do have some outfielders here. I know we've talked a lot about say a Suzuki and Nolan Jones. I agree. Those guys are at the top of the list right now, but a couple other names that I have written down here, Lars Nupar just kind of surprised me that he's 74% rostered. He's been much better in the second half, two for five with his 10 stolen base here on Monday night. Uh, and in that second half batting 299, eight homers, five steals, a 956 OPS for Lars Nupar. Tommy Pham went three for five with his 16th home run. In 34 games with the D-backs, he's hitting 261, six homers, 25 RBI, seven steals, so power, speed, right in the middle of that lineup, giving you some counting stats. Uh, I think he's just been rock solid, Tommy Pham. And Max Kepler, who I know you added to the sleeper hitters this week, two for three with a walk and his 22nd home run, also having a great second half, batting 294 with nine home runs and an 899 OPS. Scott, it might depend on, you know, matchups for next week, which I haven't looked into yet, obviously. But uh, what do you think about Lars Newbar, Tommy Pham, Max Kepler? Like you're thinking in terms of ranking or just in general? Yeah, uh, ranking them. I mean, yep. in, in general, I, I had to drop Logan, um, Lars Newbar in one of my shallow or three outfielder leagues with Jonathan India coming off the aisle. I had to make room for him, and I actually dropped Newbar. So I understand why his roster rate is where it is. He's just, he's just kind of, he's, he's, he's been kind of a tweener in three outfielder leagues and, you know, spent a lot of time on the IL recently. Um, so if you didn't have an IL spot for him, you may have used that as an excuse to drop him. He is my favorite of these three, but he's he has he has he has had an issue elevating the ball this year that's really cut into his power production and so um that that has limited his upside even if he's been kind of steady and and useful throughout uh fam and kepler they're fine matchups plays but i think in the average week certainly in a three outfielder league i wouldn't prefer to use them okay uh, two other names here, some rookies that got called up recently. Ronnie Mauricio continues to run wild, one for three, with a double, two RBI, and his fourth stolen base in nine games. He's betting 313 early on here, uh, hitting the ball hard, 90.2 average exit velocity, but a ton of ground balls. He's up around 70% ground ball rate. And Nolan Shenwell with the Angels. He extends his on-base streak to 18 games. That's right, he has reached base in every single game that he has played. The problem, he has just one extra base hit, and it's a double, uh, a 405 on base percentage so far for Shanwell. Uh, he's 25% rostered. Mauricio is 44%. Do those numbers sound right, Scott? Uh, Mauricio, 44%. Shanwell at 25. Yeah, for the most part. Mauricio, I could, I, I could see it being higher than 44%. But, um, you know, the stolen bases are mainly what's sustaining him at this point. And we need a little more than that, I think, in most leagues. 
Uh, Shanwell, I mean, that's that's a guy living up to a scouting report almost completely. He, he feels very John Jaso-like to me, where he's just going to bat leadoff, start against righties, get on base at a nice clip, but really not do much else. And that's going to make him a, it's it's going to make him a more valuable real life player than fantasy player probably, particularly since he's only eligible at third for most of John Jaso's career. He was catcher eligible. So that's where I'm at with Nolan Shanwell. Okay. Let's slide over to waiver wire pitchers. And we know Jose Quintana was a popular ad this weekend and uh, came through, I would say, in his first start. Five innings, two runs, four strikeouts, 12 swinging strikes on 90 pitches. And so far, he has allowed two earned runs or fewer in eight of his 10 starts with the Mets, a 305 ERA and a 127 whip here for Jose Quintana. He's still out there in some leagues. He's 68% rostered. Jordan Wicks, I know we were nervous about him going into Coors Field. He pitched very well. Six innings, one run, only two strikeouts. The strikeouts have been an issue. He has three or fewer in three of four starts, but a 199 ERA, a 106 whip. He's pitched well so far. And then Reed Detmers, back-to-back quality starts. He was at the Mariners. Uh, Seven innings, three runs, seven strikeouts to zero walks for him. I noticed his velocity was down in the start, and... He completely changed his pitch mix, faded his slider, and uh, went kind of change-up heavy here. It's not really a pitch that Reed Detmers has used very often in the past, but it seemed yeah. to work here in this start. Um, how would you rank these three, Scott? Quintana, Wicks, and Reed Detmers. Well, Quintana's still my favorite. He is lined up for a two-start week this week, which means it's probably his last two-start week. And it was disappointing he didn't give you the quality start. You know, seven of his previous eight were quality starts. So it's like, let's get this quality start machine in the lineup. It wasn't bad, but an inning shy of being a quality start, which matters in points leagues especially. Uh, His next start, if he stays on turn, I believe it's against the Reds. I think you're right. And um, that would would be fine to use him for that turn. And, like, he just feels like a safe option down the stretch if he just... If you need somebody else to plug in, even if it's just for one start that week, uh, his last two in the last in the final two weeks, so he gets the Reds this weekend if they stay on turn, and then after that, it looks like Philadelphia, and then maybe Miami in the final week. You may not want to start him against Philadelphia, but that Miami matchup should be good mm-hmm. for Jose Quintana. Um, so he's my favorite. I, I I like that Reed Demers is scheduled to face the Tigers next time out. He's also a two-star pitcher, so it'll be his last two-star week. Uh, and then after that, it looks like he'll get Tampa Bay and maybe Oakland, so he might keep him around for that Oakland start in the final week if your league goes that long. The pitch mix thing, yeah, it's because we've always made such a big deal with the slider for Reed Detmers. I mean, that's what allowed him to take off midway through last season. That's we've been monitoring the velocity on that slider throughout this season. And so for him to almost completely abandon it and end up with his best numbers, this was his best start of the second half, right? I think Uh, so. Yeah. Nah. Well, he had a nine strikeout game fresh off the break, but yeah, it's been a, it's, it was his best start in a long time. It was his best start in a long time, despite just not even really throwing that slider. Uh, so I don't know if it was an element of surprise or maybe he just hasn't had a feel for that pitch and that's why he struggled so mightily. Um, 
But I like that matchup later this week against the Tigers. So if it is a daily league, Detmers would probably be the higher priority for me ahead of Jordan Wicks, who I remain pretty skeptical of. I mean, six strikeouts over 17 and two-thirds innings in his last three starts. It is... I don't care how good you are at getting ground balls. That is... That is... It's tough to manage that. All right, let's... uh... I had one name as a drop here, and we've mentioned him before as a drop. Michael Lorenzen continues to struggle since throwing his no-hitter his last five starts, a 796 ERA and a 185 whip. He is down to 74% rostered. I assume you'd be okay dropping him for any of these guys? Is that all right? Lorenzen? Yeah, Yeah, I I have no ambitions for Michael Lorenzen at this point. Okay. Two names in deeper leagues. Ken Waldachuk was great as a bulk reliever at the Astros. Six no-hit innings, one walk, three strikeouts, had 10 swinging strikes on 67 pitches. And in Waldachuk's last seven games, a 263 ERA and a 117 whip. He's pitched very well recently. And uh, Patrick Corbin, I don't know if there's anything we could do with this. I mean, he still has an ERA over five, but... It was a great start at the Pirates. Six and two-thirds innings, two runs allowed, eight strikeouts with 18 swinging strikes on 98 pitches. Uh, any thoughts on Waldachuk and Patrick Corbin? Corbin's slider usage was the highest. It's been all season, 52%. If he continues with that, maybe, maybe he can have more starts like this, but there's no predicting whether he will, and, and obviously... His bad starts have been pretty dreadful, so I'd, I'd continue to avoid Patrick Corbin. Waldachuk's gotten to be kind of interesting here. Um, he was, when he was a big strikeout artist in the minors, mostly for the Yankees, it was it was with a fastball and slider primarily. He's 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 taken a step forward with this changeup, which kind of has the opposite movement of the slider, and. Um, and he seems to have better control with it, so he's re- been able to reduce the walks, better strike thrower. Uh, it's still not quite a high enough strikeout rate during this seven-star stretch. He's had 31 strikeouts in 37 and two-thirds innings for me to like buy into him as a breakout or anything, especially since he pitches for the athletics. But there may be something to see here with Waldachuk. I, I liked him as a prospect, uh, and obviously it hasn't gone well for him in the majors overall, but I liked him as a prospect and he's maybe figuring things out. All right. Again, that is Ken Waldachuk. Let's get into some news and notes here. Shohei Otani was originally in the Angels lineup and then he was later scratched. So, uh, you know, this time of year, Scott, it's it's kind of a mess. You know, I, I saw he was in the lineup. I put him in one of my lineups and then later on I saw he was scratched again. I had to go and get him out. And I think one of the only drawbacks to having leagues with weekly fab and then you can't make pickups after that is that the past couple of weeks, it feels like this has happened a lot where on Monday out of nowhere, we get these injury updates like mm-hmm. Adbert Alzali placed in the IL today out of nowhere. I have him in tout wars. I didn't have a reliever on my bench to replace him. So now I just, I have to take a zero in my lineup. Same thing like Gabriel Moreno. He was just placed on the paternity list I don't have a backup catcher in that league, so I just I just have to take a zero. And same thing happened yep. a couple of weeks ago with Matt McClain. It's it's kind of frustrating, man. Like I don't know. Yeah, and I know some people don't like the the weekly waiver run for that reason. And that's you know 
That's fine. It, it makes my life easier since I have so many leagues. Like if, if it was just free ad drops or daily waiver wire, I'd miss out on so many pickups. Like, so I like that. I like that it, it makes for more competitive bidding when your waivers only run once a week. But of course, most people don't play like that. Most people play with free ad drops, really. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, they don't experience that frustration. And, and really, when they play in our leagues for the first time, like with the podcast leagues, and they're like, there's always this confusion at the beginning. What? I can't pick somebody up at 11.55 in the morning, mon- you know, 11.55 Monday morning before lineups lock? I can't do that. And, nope, you can't. It's a trade-off, you know. You just have yeah. to decide what you pre- if you prefer the competitive bidding more than um, sort of the flexibility and convenience of making an ad drop whenever you want, then you'll, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll decide what works best for your league. I have seen hybrid setups where it will be just one run of waivers during the week, but there'll be kind of like this grace period yeah. Monday morning, which is the best of both worlds, but that takes a dedicated commissioner <laughs> Yeah, because that's you know you can't actually set it up to run automatically that way. They have to change the settings at the same time every Monday to get it to work that way. So actually, it'd be nice if you could set it up to do that automatically. I actually I know that you could do it on CBS on the football side because that's how my home league is set up, where Fab runs on Sundays and then we have just open waiver wire until lineups lock at one p.m. So if we could do it on the football side, we might be able to do it on the baseball side. So I don't know. We yeah, gotta, we got to look into it. There's definitely an option. Yeah, for I mean, it obviously you would have to because uh, waivers run in football traditionally late Tuesday, right? Yeah. So in, so it would have to be it would have to be a situation where where it's midweek like that. Gotcha. Um, um, yeah. So when waivers which is run, kinda, which like kind of tu- awkward timing in baseball. Yeah. So. In football, it runs Tuesday into Wednesday. We don't have open waivers after that run, but then we run them again Saturday night into Sunday morning, and then after that, it's open until 1 p.m. So it feels like something we should be able to do on baseball, but eh, we'll look into it. I think it's probably the the right answer. It's the best of both worlds. Uh, Jason Dominguez was officially placed on the IL with that torn UCL in his right elbow. Estevan Florial was recalled by the Yankees, and there was another report that said Dominguez is likely to miss the first half of the 2024 season. So hopefully we can get him back in uh, July or August of next season. Adbert Alzali was placed in the IL with a right forearm strain retroactive to September 10th. Julian Merriweather picked up the save on Sunday and has had a pretty good season. Lots of strikeouts, big fastball velocity, 15.8% swinging strike rate. And then here on Monday, uh, Michael Fulmer got the final two outs for his second save of the season, but Merriweather had pitched the past three days in a row. What do you think happens here uh, in the back end of the Cubs bullpen, Scott? Yeah, I, I mean, my my first reaction was that it would go to Mark Leiter, who's been the primary eighth inning guy, but he's been pretty shaky lately, and, and Merriweather's pitched well. Merriweather, remember, for a hot minute last year, we thought he might be on the verge of overtaking Jordan Romano with the Blue Jays, yeah. and then he got hurt very soon thereafter and it became a non-issue and obviously Romano has become what he's become. Um, I guess I would lean Merriweather and and the way the Cubs have been racking up saves lately, that's a pretty attractive pickup if you need them, but I can't rule out the possibility that lighter factors in or that it's a, 
committee of some kind. I do think it was a weird situation today with Fulmer getting the save because Drew Smiley had pitched the previous inning and they kept him in for the ninth. And then they removed him mid-inning. I think they just wanted him to get Ryan McMahon out, so lefty on lefty. Yeah, possibly. But that kind of almost lends credence to the committee idea. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. Like, I do know Tanner Scott is available in more than half of CBS Sports Leagues, and so if if you play in one of the mini leagues where he's available, that's a better choice than anybody from the Cubs bullpen. Yeah, these are very deep league spec ads, I would say. Uh, Merriweather, only 6% rostered on CBS, so widely available. Christian Yelich's back is improving, but he was out of the lineup for a third straight game on Monday. Orioles GM Mike Elias. Yes, Elias. I I wanted to say Elias because of Diaz, but (laughs) I know it's Elias. Uh, He confirmed that Felix Bautista is dealing with a partial tear of his UCL, but the team remains hopeful that their closer will pitch again in 2023, which we have seen from other pitchers in the past. Masahiro Tanaka pulled it off. Um, So it's possible, but he also throws really hard. So I don't know. I'm a little bit skeptical there. Andrew Abbott, this is your answer for uh, whether to start or sit him this week. He will not start for the Reds on Wednesday. He's already up to 153 innings this season, 35 past his previous career high. For now, we're not sure when he'll make his next start, but I know Connor Phillips will start in his place. Shane Bieber is scheduled to make his first rehab start Tuesday at AA. He's been out since the All-Star break with right elbow inflammation. Jorge Soler has been cleared to begin a hitting progression. He's eligible to return September 16th. That's later this week but it's unclear if he'll actually be ready to go by then. Sandy Alcantara is rehabbing with the team, but has yet to resume throwing. He was placed on the IL last week with a right forearm flexor strain. Jose Siri was diagnosed with a hairline fracture in his right hand after getting hit by a pitch on Monday night. Chris Sale's next start has been pushed back to Saturday when he'll face the Toronto Blue Jays instead of the New York Yankees. Ryan Pepio's next start will come Wednesday against the Padres. Jamer Candelario was out of the lineup Monday after he left Sunday's game with tightness in his back. Chris Bryant was activated and batting cleanup for the Rockies on Monday. Hunter Goodman, unfortunately, was out of the lineup. Another guy I picked up in Tout Warriors this week. Uh, Jared Kelnick was activated and in the Mariners lineup batting seventh and playing right field. He's been out since mid-July with a fracture in his left foot. He's 58% rostered. Scott, any interest in Jared Kelnick? Uh, sure, in five outfielder leagues. I would go with him over Pete Crow Armstrong or even Evan uh, Evan Carter. I think I would put him behind Tommy Pham and Max Kepler, though. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I, I might put him ahead of those two, but it's they're very much in the same range for me. Okay. Alec Manoa, who's been shut down since August 10th, probably won't pitch again this season. Alan Winans, who was optioned after his great start on Sunday. The White Sox optioned Oscar Colas to AAA for the second time this season. And the Brewers selected Josh Donaldson's contract from AAA. He was in the lineup batting fifth against a lefty in Jesus Lazardo. Let's take our final break. When we return, I do have some... Players that made some noise here on Monday, where did they go in that mock draft? I I thought they were kind of interesting picks, so we'll run through that. Some leftovers. We'll do it right after this. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back in, and let's talk about some interesting picks in that way too early 2024 mock draft that we did. The first six rounds of a 15-team league, so we got 90 picks into it. C.J. Abrams went two for four with a double dong, and he's now up to 18 home runs since being moved to the leadoff spot the last 55 games. Abrams is batting 275 with 11 home runs and 30 steals. He went at pick 68 in that early mock draft, Scott. What do you think about that cost for C.J. Abrams? I think it sounds pretty good. Now, when you to, to clarify a few points here, you say this mock draft we did. We meaning you and several Tout Wars participants. I wasn't part of this draft. Right. Um, also, Tout Wars is normally an OBP league instead of batting average, but you guys were mocking for a traditional 5x5 five five league, not so, so batting average rather than OBP. Correct. Right? Because that makes a difference in Abrams' case. Yep. Because the big concern with him still is he's just he doesn't walk much at all and so most of his obp comes from his batting average and though it was thought to be one of his best tools we haven't really seen improvement in that area um, as his production well not great improvement anyway um but just the fact that he's become a prolific base dealer like he should have been all along obviously improves his profile and i think i, I think that the him going fifth what in, in round five 68 68th overall would be round five in a 15-team league, right? Yep. Round six in a 12-team league, if if you want to do that conversion. As a 40-steal guy who also has some power, I think that goes to show that like, you don't have to be dead set on drafting a, a, a base stealer in round one and that there is a strong case for taking a Corey Seager in that range and style. Corey Seager's also a shortstop, but you know, Freddie Freeman or whatever else. Right. Uh, all right. So sounds good on CJ Abrams. Royce Lewis went one for four with his 12th home run added three RBI. And since returning from the IL, uh, Lewis has played 23 games. He's batting 300 with seven homers, four steals and a 965 OPS in this early mock draft. He went 89th overall. So the second to last pick of round six, how does that sound for Royce Lewis? Um, well, it sounds relative to, to Abrams. It sounds like not as good of a deal. But I mean, his stock is on the rise. I don't want to make it sound like I'm some Royce Lewis downer here. Uh, I don't think stolen bases are going to be as big of a part of his profile, though he does have four and 23 games. Um, and, uh, you know... He hasn't walked a lot either, but he does hit the ball incredibly hard, and I think the power is legit. I mean, his his 
as a hitter, he's been great in the majors. It's just he's missed, you know, that long time off with the the torn ACL. Uh, but he's he's uh, he's somebody I'm going to be targeting a lot if it's more like the middle rounds. I think that's a little higher than I'd prefer, and I wonder if it has something to do with it being a 15 team league and uh, somebody was feeling the squeeze at shortstop or is he just going to be eligible at third base next year? I think he's only going to be third base. Yeah. Maybe they were feeling the squeeze at third base then. Maybe the last player on this list is Cedric Mullins. He went two for three with his 14th home run added four RBI. He has struggled some since returning from the IL 28 games. He's batting 228, six homers, three steals. Notice that he's been sitting against left-handed pitching recently as well. Uh, has, you know, in his career hasn't been as, very good against lefties, I guess you could say. Well, if, he used to bat righty against lefties, but not anymore. Uh, it feels like this groin injury, which Mullins has been on the IL for twice this season, has pretty clearly affected him. He, I think, lasted way too late in this mock draft. He went 90th. He went with the last pick of round six, one pick after Royce Lewis. That sounds like a pretty good deal. And 90th would be like round eight in a 12-team league, right? Uh, yeah, I guess that's I. I he de- he deserves to be discounted from where we drafted the past couple years. Uh, I I think we gave him more of a pass last year because two years ago, remember, he had a thirty thirty season. Last year was a sixteen homer thirty four season with a lower batting average, and we still drafted him pretty high because stolen bases were more scarce. But they're not as scarce anymore. There are more sources of them. He's proven twice over he's not a huge power threat. And if there is any risk of him sitting against left-handers, that obviously hurts Mullins' cause too. So um, I think he was appropriately discounted there. And uh, I, I don't know if I'd wait quite that long to draft him next year, but I, I don't see myself drafting him more than a round earlier either. All right, well, that's. Uh, I guess we'll put a bow on that mock draft for now. Let's get into some leftovers here, and we'll start off with Kyle Wright's return. It was pretty bad at the Phillies. Three-plus innings, six hits, six runs allowed. Uh, only had three swinging strikes on 62 pitches. Gave up a bunch of hard contact. The velocity was down a little bit in this one, and I think it's reasonable that he's he struggled. He hasn't really pitched much this year. But he's 66% rostered, only 9% started. I just don't think we're going to have enough time to get to the point where we can trust putting Kyle Wright in our lineup, Scott. Probably not. I was kind of surprised how rostered he is. I imagine people just stuck him in their IL spot in two-thirds of CBS Sports Leagues and left him there for all the months he was out. And that's why he's so rostered. It's going to be harder to roster him now that he's back, though, and you can't keep him in that IL spot. And certainly I'd swap him out for somebody like Jose Quintana. Uh, we did we did see Hunter Green come off the IL and have two horrendous starts in a row. And then the two starts after that, he looked great. And so maybe Kyle Wright will get into a similar groove and be fine. His final rehab start, he allowed one hit in three innings with seven strikeouts. So I was kind of hopeful for his uh, return to the Braves rotation. But yeah, you have you obviously have to see a turnaround before you use them in fantasy, and we may just the calendar may run out before that happens, as you said. 
Some other pitching leftovers. Framber Valdez put up his third double-digit strikeout start of the season. He was facing Oakland. Seven innings, three runs, 10 strikeouts for him. 18 swinging strikes on 96 pitches. Uh, got back to using his curveball and changeup more in this start, so I think that's good news for Framber Valdez. StatCast also said that his cutter was up five miles per hour in this start. I don't know how accurate that was, but... That's what they said. Uh, Gavin Williams turned in a quality start, but control continues to be a problem for him. Six innings, three runs, four walks to two strikeouts. He now has four walks in back-to-back starts and has four or more walks in five of 15 starts. So control, kind of an issue here for Gavin Williams. And then uh, one bad pitching left over. Jesus Lazardo just crushed at the Brewers. Five innings, 10 hits, six runs, four walks. So he's crushing you with the whip. He's crushing you with the ERA. Velocity was down in this one, and we've cited before that the those innings are really starting to add, add up here for uh, for Jesus Lazardo. He's just been really consistent this year. He's gone on stretches where he looks like a borderline ace. Then he goes on these stretches where he seemingly gets rocked. And it's kind of frustrating. But well, that's that's kind of everybody, right? I mean, yeah. the same thing happened with Dean Kramer. Gave up five earned runs and four and a third to the Cardinals today after his previous eight starts at 235 ERA. And I, you know, Dean Kramer's obviously of a lower lower talent level than Jose, uh, than Jesus Lazardo. But this is what's made pitching so frustrating this year is that a misstep, a hiccup for a pitcher can't just be, you know, a not so great outing. It's this. It's this complete blow up that ruins your whole week. And even, you know, some in the ace class have been vulnerable to that. We went through the the fantasy point per game breakdown compared to last year and just like everybody's suffering from this. And it just it t- it feels totally random and very difficult to predict, unpredictable, basically, which, you know, works out great for us. Uh, but everybody's suffering with it. That, this was an interesting stat we didn't get to from the weekend. And we're running out of time now, too. But I'm going to go ahead and mention it. So Seth Lugo, who we've been touting a lot in recent weeks, his start Saturday was one of these blow-up starts, six earned runs in four and a third innings at the Astros. It was only his second start in the last 10 in which he allowed more than two earned runs. So eight starts in 10, two earned runs or fewer for Seth Lugo. Sounds like a really great stretch, right? Well, the two bad starts during that 10-start stretch were so bad that his ERA actually went up from 372 to 380 during that 10-start stretch where eight times he allowed two earned runs or fewer. I mean, that is that 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 says it all right there. Like, you could have left him in your lineup and enjoyed all those great starts and still your team's ERA would have gone up. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it's just been a pretty interesting year in terms of uh, trying to evaluate pitching. And, you know, we're, I feel like we're going to have to go back to the drawing board this offseason and figure out what we want to do for next year. Some hitting leftover is Gunnar Henderson went three for five with his 25th home run. He also has nine steals on the season, batting 257. Um, overall, Pretty successful year, I would say, for Gunnar Henderson. Willie Adamas went three for four with two doubles, a triple, three runs, and four RBI in his last 21 games. He's batting 284 with six home runs and 25 RBI. 
And I noticed he's underperformed his expected numbers by quite a bit this season. So I don't know. Maybe Willie, Dom- uh, Willie Adamas is a player to to buy low on next season. I, I don't I can't imagine there will be much enthusiasm for him. Yandy Diaz went four for six with his 20th home run. Manny Machado two for five with a double dong. He's up to 28. Mookie Betts went two for four with his 39th home run. Added four RBI. He's betting 313 with a 1022 OPS. And Julio Rodriguez hit a game tying homer in the 10th inning of that game. And uh, he joins the 30-30 club. Him and A-Rod are the only two Mariners to do that in their history. Uh, And it's also just the 44th player in MLB history to be part of that 30-30 club. So a massive second half here for Julio Rodriguez. We'll get him back into the top five picks again for next year. The call to the bullpen, a few updates for the Braves in game one of that doubleheader. Rysel Iglesias got the ninth inning with a two-run lead. He gave up a game-tying home run to Bryce Harper. The Braves would eventually take the lead and win on a save by Kirby Yates. It was his fourth of the year. And then in game two of their doubleheader, the Phillies side, Craig Kimbrell, gave up a hit but converted his 23rd save of the year. For Tampa Bay, Pete Fairbanks struck out one for his 23rd save. For the D-backs, Paul Seawald walked two but picked up his 33rd save. For the Rockies, they just cannot find somebody to close out games. Tyler Kinley is the latest to try it. He got the ninth inning with a one-run lead. He gave up two runs on a walk and two hits, took his second blown save and second loss of the year. And then for the Cubs, we mentioned this earlier, uh, Drew Smiley started the ninth inning. He got that first out. Michael Fulmer then entered. He walked one, a hit-by-pitch, got the final two outs for his second save of the season. Let's wrap up here with to stream or not to stream, and we'll start with Tuesday, which now has... 17 games on the slate because uh, we had some rainouts on Monday. So we got some doubleheaders. It's going to be a pretty crazy show tomorrow night, Scott. I think it's going to be a long one. But um, on Tuesday, let's see. What do we got? Uh, John Means has his season debut against the Cardinals. Uh, Brandon Williamson is at the Tigers. We have uh, Brian Wu against the Angels. Cal Quantrill at the Giants. Uh, I don't feel great about any of these. Yeah, I'm kind of stretching here. Yoan Adone at the Pirates. So many options, none of them good. So means, obviously, you know, you run into the same risk of what happened with Kyle Wright. Um, Brandon Williamson is coming off illness, right, at the Tigers. Not that he's a super reliable pitcher anyway. Yawn Adone at the Pirates. I mean, I can see how it goes well, but you're really, you're really rolling the dice on any of them, and um, you'd have to be pretty desperate, I'd say. Okay, on, Brian Wu against the Angels is in that discussion as well. Yeah, I, I think he might be my favorite, but I don't really love that group either. On Wednesday, uh, I think we have some better options here. Logan Allen at the Giants. Kyle Harrison is on the other side. He's facing the Guardians. We have Mike Clevenger against the Royals, Ryan Pepio against the Padres. Some pretty good ones. Yeah, so Ryan Pepio, I guess he got moved up a day now that he's going Wednesday. Uh, he's, he's probably my favorite. He was the highest among my sleeper pitchers for the upcoming week. The highest among those listed here. Uh, Logan Allen was also on that list, though, at San Francisco. They're pretty bad against lefties. Uh, Kyle Harrison, I mean, that's a boomer bus play. It could work out really well. Um, 
I mean, against the Guardians, I don't think it has that much downside. Uh, but, you know, he, he, he may do more harm than good to your ERA and whip. So um, in the pursuit of strikeouts, you have to weigh if that's worth it to you. All right, we're going to wrap there. For Scott, I am Frank. Thanks, as always, for tuning in to Fantasy Baseball today. Please make sure to follow and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify, and we will be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye. The wait is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount+. Plus. What brings you to the show? Opportunity. A new rain is coming to the South Side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes now streaming. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with the Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. The subscription auto renews. Restrictions apply.